Any more sound effects? No, I'm good. Oh, wow. Okay. Coffee drinkers. We're back. Welcome. <laughs> Chelsea, you, you got all that out of your system, right? Yeah. Okay. I'm a tad snotty, so I apologize <laughs> for future sound effects. Yeah. Um, we are back. Been, it's been quite the break, huh? Happy New Year. Chelsea was gone. Did anyone go out? Were there any coffee drinkers? Did any coffee drinkers come to see you or say hi? Mm-mm. No? No. So Maine and Vermont went by coffee drinker free. Big shows, though. Too bad. Yeah. And I was kind of hidden, so. Oh, yeah? <laughs> they might have been there and I just didn't know. I ran away yeah, quickly. Doing you. I, I like to do that. It's not nice. Like, it's nice to go out and see people and meet them. I, I have a hard time doing it. I've always had a hard time doing it, actually. Hmm. I only feel comfortable on the stage or wherever I am when I'm trying to disappear. But like, and it's not like when I go meet fans or coffee drinks or anything, it's like disingenuous. I'm totally like engaged in everything. I just, there's this like a block or something that I get anxious about. Hmm. You have that with people or not? I usually really like to meet people. I'm just usually so uncomfortable from being in whatever I had to wear on stage that I just want to get out of it as oh, quickly yeah. as possible and get back into my pajamas. There's, and then I'll come meet you. There's definitely the sweaty factor yeah. for me. I'm like, oh, especially if it's a long show. And it's not like I don't have fun meeting people. It's just the connection point that I've always been a little bit socially awkward with. You are pretty socially awkward, so I understand. Thank you so much. <laughs> so, so wonder why you're sitting here still. Yeah. I look past it for... Your better qualities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A- any advice for for people out there who might be in my situation? Socially awkward? <laughs> yeah. I mean, people appreciate it. I think that's why when I'm with you and you are on like the few last minute world tour dates I was with you. Yeah. I was just pushing you to get past it and just talk oh, yeah, to you were because, good. because it really means so much. I mean, I... The times that I've met my heroes are burned into my memory forever. Right. I mean, the one time, like when I met Christina Tosi, that baking Oh, chick. yes, yes. She's the owner of Milk Bar. Yeah, who's hip York, to Milk Bar? For those of you who... Got a sugar to, addiction. To the Tosi. <laughs> um, but yeah, when I met her, I just, you know, everything she said to me is just burned in my memory. Is a, a great thing that happened. Right. So it really makes a big difference when you get over your own social awkwardness right and i'm aware there's like a responsibility to i'm aware Mm -hmm. of exactly what you just said because i of course like i'm like most people have had exactly the same experience you know every hero i've met i've been like eyes wide open ears wide open Mm -hmm. stammering probably a little bit we're like oh okay you know you know michael breck is probably my all-time hero of anything and anyone anywhere and even though I got to know him it towards the, towards the end, when I first met him, it was just like, what is going on? Mm-hmm. It wasn't even that thing of like, I'm in the same room. It was, I'm on the same continent as this person. Right. It's I'm, like, I think that when I'm in a huge amphitheater, I'm think, oh yeah. I think I'm breathing the same air as this person right when now. When you're in the audience and yeah. the person's on stage? Mm-hmm. Wow. So was there something similar? Can you hear the rain? Yeah. I don't know if you guys can out there. Southern California, oh, we're doing another bit of a rainy glorious. podcast. This is not the first time this has happened, is it? Podcast brings the rain. Yeah. Um, do you re- remember thinking anything about breathing air when, when we were in Denver at the Maroon 5 show? <laughs> <laughs> I 
I don't know what that means. Well, you just said in a big amphitheater, you're thinking about, I'm in the same room, breathing the same air. And then I popped up on stage and was like, hey, you want to get married? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was no one. I mean, I don't, I don't particularly want to breathe the same air as James or anything. So, you know, it's, <laughs> I think we do that it's less already. of, yeah, yeah, right. It's less of the same feeling, but. Um, talking about breathing the same air as a lot of people. I put a post on Instagram earlier on. Uh, saying how I wanted to start booking tour dates for way after the wedding, mm-hmm. but still towards the end of 2019. I had a beautiful email from Argentina. Um, Eric, thank you for that. Uh, we are now in contact about doing a jazz festival down in Cordoba in, in Argentina. So super psyched about that for November. So South America could be happening as early as November this year. But coffee drinkers, you, you guys went nuts when I put this, it's ridiculous. It's like a hundred comments on the video or something wow. about place. I said, you know, because it was morning time in Australia mm. and lunchtime in New Zealand, more, really early morning in Southeast Asia. And I just said, hey, Australia, Japan, Southeast Asia, I'm practicing, but what's up? What are you guys doing? And I can't wait to see you. I want to do a world tour. And it was like, <laughs> and people all over the place, Toronto, Brisbane. The point being, there are going to be some tour dates coming up. So it is a good good place to talk about this um, and just let everyone know. I really want to, and we, we are live brainstorming right here about this. I want to get this rolling long, long before it happens to prime everyone for it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's not like a shock and we don't get all those texts and emails and messages saying, oh man, you were just here and I didn't yeah. know. You know, so I might sound like a broken record for the next six months or so, but it's for a reason. It's so that nobody gets left out and so that I actually come to the places that you, the coffee drinker, want to hear the music. And I'm going to be trying to do it with a band and a new album and all that stuff this time. It won't be won't be solo shows. I hope Chelsea is going to be with me a lot of the time. Um, we have so many projects this year. It would be great that we travel together anyway with those projects, Yeah, with the book projects. It's true. We actually had a meeting the other day. We did. Oh, my God. It's so much better. Okay, this is a great thing to talk about. It's so much better. I, I told Chelsea this like 10 minutes after we had this meeting and we wrote a bunch of stuff down. And I just got to work because I had deadlines all of a sudden in my calendar. Do you work better like that? I have to have deadlines or I'm not going to get anything done. Okay. Always? Yeah. How are you coffee drinkers about that? You got to leave us some feedback. Speak pipe, by the way. com forward slash podcast record a voice message we will um we'll play it on the on the podcast we'll ask your questions we're going to do a couple of those at the end of the podcast with a uh, forest gentry and tommy volthaus volthaus yeah from holland i believe so we'll get to those later but yeah leave us leave us some comments how do you guys do with schedules i know it was amazing for me to see like six deadlines for this year we have six projects coming out this year and we now have six deadlines for them and we know what they're going to be and we know when i have to be finished and when chelsea has to be finished it's a really good feeling yeah and in amongst all of that chelsea's going to write a book as well and yeah come on see if i announce it to the world then you have to do it oh geez that's what i like to do i like to say hey by the way i'm coming to brisbane january 25th 2020 so that now I have to be in Brisbane, January 25th, 2020. <laughs> That's a deadline. You know what I mean? Yeah. And by the way, I quite like the idea of being down in Australia during the summer. Like their summer is our winter, so mm-hmm. it'd be really fun. You know, go to South America in November and then maybe January slash February down, way down under. Mm. You've never been to Australia? So I have let's, not. Let's go down there together. 
let's go hang out. Mm-hmm. Be fun. Yeah. Coffee drinkers, what do you want to hear? <laughs> Where do you want to hear it? You got to give us feedback on that. Like I said, I'm going to sound like a bit of a broken record for the next six months, but it will work out for the best. Um, and then this year we are managing tour dates like crazy. Chelsea and I like back to back to back to back. Um, so if you're in the U.S., like Chelsea is going to be everywhere in the U.S., right? Or a lot in the South. Yeah, pretty much across the Southern Belt, kind of going straight from the top of Florida across the country. New Orleans, Atlanta. I'm popping around. All you are straight like, across. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's Texas. A- Oh, you are going to Texas, Arizona, probably California. Uh, a little bit, yeah. New um, Mexico. Is that where that cool instrument museum is? No, I think that's in Arizona. Is it? The okay. Museum of Instruments, I think yes, that's in Arizona. Yes, we're, we're playing there. Oh, you're actually playing the museum? Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. That might be one of the ones I want to come out and see. Totally. It's right before Vegas. Okay. Or after Vegas. Oh, so. I think I'm going to be gone already yeah, with you'll Bob's be gone tour. Already. Okay, well that... Um, but lots in Northern California. I think Seattle. Nice. And... Portland Beautiful. and I've never been somehow as a Californian I've never been to the Pacific Northwest which is crazy so I'm very excited about that awesome so we're both playing up there Bob mm-hmm. that's the only gig that I've got confirmed with Bobby right now is on the 26th of February in Portland if anyone's around I think that's the Portland Jazz Festival cool well, that's great um and then I'm going to be heading to Europe with Bob I put a vlog out about this you know I said something along these lines last year Bob made a vlog about this that if you want a similar kind of thing, if you want us to come and play in Europe, we have these two weeks that we're booking right now. We're looking at a lot of Scandinavia and Northern Europe. So check out my latest vlog. Check out Bob's latest vlog um, and about the about this tour coming up in April. Tons of great info and, and how you can help. And it really doesn't take much. It's literally just a, a Facebook post or an email or something like that. Um, that's about That's about it. It's really that simple if you want us to come and play. We will be there. It worked really well last year. I'm sure it's going to work again this year. Um, Before we started recording, Chelsea was testing my abysmal ear training (laughs) skills. That was really fun. At the piano. But isn't that weird? Yes. I mean, it's... It's not weird. It's just crap that I'm not very good at it. But the it, the weird thing being that you you would play an interval and I would actually hear the chord around it, yeah, as opposed to the actual interval itself. But isn't it the same thing as when you were doing like more extended chord ear training with me the other day, uh-huh. and I could sing all of these ideas. Mm-hmm. I knew the scales, like multiple scales, to sing over a chord. Right. But I couldn't, off the top of my head, say exactly what the chord name was. Right. But and also. Were you thinking theoretically with the scale or was it totally no, by feel? No, absolutely not. It was just my ear telling me this is how this goes in context. But otherwise, yeah. Don't put your foot on me. I don't want I'm your foot near me. Foot on you. My foot, yeah. I have a thing with feet yeah. and not in the way that people usually say that. Yeah. It's the opposite. Feet disgust me. And I like resting my feet on the couch. And, and he like touches the microphone with his toes and it's disgusting. <laughs> anyway, I thought it'd be fun if <laughs> we talk about more interesting. I mean, this is the first podcast of the year. Yes. It should be new and exciting there's exciting things coming we have as we talked about our projects which are actually books crazy that we have come up with the concepts for every single one yes which is really exciting um it's a lot of of work yes nam is coming to town in two weeks yeah it's crazy it's gonna be here do you have anyone you're super excited to see at nam uh well actually anders because yeah. we're really like Anders Matheson because we're launching the bases at NAM. Like that's the like I, I, 
I don't actually know if I'm going to have time to float around and actually mm. like I probably I'm going to we, we are both going to run into so many people we know. Yeah. Right? Oh, just to shout out just yes. so people know. So Yannick will be at the Matheson base booth yeah. for most almost probably the entire thing. Yes. Um, I will be working. I'll either be oh, there yes. with him or I'll be at the Fender Play booth. Yeah. For anyone who didn't clock that like Chelsea was a, is a huge part of the bass side of Fender Play. Which is an app, right? Yeah, it's the app to teach people how to play bass. Right. So I'll be working the booth, I'm assuming, doing like live lessons and Facebook Live and oh, wow. showing people the app and stuff like that. Nice. Um, um, playing well, fenders, you know. Yeah. Doing as you do. See if you can snag a couple of fenders for us. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> but yeah, Nam is going to be pretty, pretty jam-packed solid. Like this will probably be the busiest Nam I've ever Mm-hmm. done well, how about you probably you as well right if you're working a booth at, it'll be the most locked down i've ever been oh, actually organized actually mm-hmm. going to nam with a purpose with a purpose that's very original other than the painstaking process of like putting yourself out there and trying to meet people right though i did stag myself a, a bay last time but or two times ago actually um that wasn't the intent i did not go to nam to me dear god i did not go to nam trying to find a boyfriend <laughs> Oh, that is like the last place you want to find someone to marry. But hey, worked for me. Here we are. The three girls listening, don't take my, don't take my route. Yeah, go elsewhere. Don't take that lead. Nope. Go go to Tinder is is better than that. <laughs> oh God, maybe not. <laughs> the only downside of the fact that we we da- started dating at Nam is that our anniversary every year when we met is kind of hammered by nam so it will either be on a day of nam or right around it when it's totally chaotic um so much like chelsea's birthday which is christmas day maybe (laughs) we'll have to have a different day that we assign for the anniversary just so we can like our wedding date (laughs) yeah well that too but there's always the one where you met and the one where you got married oh yeah i like having two of them um also at the NAMM show, we I will have physical copies of the new chord book, the 251 book. Um, we're doing just 40 of them total where I'll be able to sign and dedicate them. So either dedicate them to you or maybe you're taking them as a gift for someone else. Um, and if you, I'm just not mailing them out. Going to the post office and just shipping in general is a pain in the ass and it's really expensive and doesn't really make a lot of sense at the end of the day for you, the customer. It's just way too much money. Um, and doing this little limited run of signed ones will be a NAM. I think that'd be pretty cool. I'd maybe try and do that in the future if I'm doing a clinic somewhere. But for now, um, I'll be at the Madison booth. First come, first serve, just for anyone who wants a, a signed physical copy of the book. And if you're okay without a signed one, they're at Amazon and they're flying off the shelves. So the, the response has been unbelievable. Yeah, it's I, a great book. I, I just see 251 stuff in my feed, like people tagging the book, tagging me, tagging you. And playing the playing the languages. I'm still playing it. It's hey, great. Uh, yeah, me too. <laughs> Twenty five years later. Um, anyway, New Year. Any resolutions you got? Yeah, you've probably heard and felt most of the main resolution. <laughs> yeah, it's to practice more. You mean turn the volume up on the television? Yeah. Well, that's your, that's your only that's defense. My, yeah, my defense. But yeah, I've been knocking out four to six hours a day, pretty much every day, um, since before you left for for the East Coast. Actually, since before Christmas, it's been like a month now of really doing that. Um, chops feel great. Lots of classical music, lots of melodies, and they really stick around. Yeah, like I find myself humming the Hummel, 
thing and some Brooke violin concerto and the, all these things. I just find myself humming them. And I always admire that they're pretty much a major scale most of the time. Yes. And yet so memorable. Yes. How do they do that? And like entire sections of history, you know, had concertos in C or mm -hmm. E flat or G, you know, or, or A minor, like these these kind of common keys, I guess, and like a dozen symphonies and all using a major scale and they sound yeah, very different. I think that's, I've always appreciated classical music. I come from that background, as you, as do you. But in my writing, I've always it's always been quite simple in that sense. I've n I've never been like the angular, super modern composer with lots of weird shit going on. Um, so maybe that is subconsciously from there, just mm. the simplicity of a classical melody and about reharm as well. That's what our next book, like Chordal Harmony Part Two, is is containing so much about reharm and like using simple melodies and and stripping it all down to a melody note and a bass line and how much fucking mileage you can get out of that simplicity mm -hmm. you know i think it's really underrated i think people go dense they go odd time signature they go crunchy chord and they go all of these devices just for the sake of it mm. you know it's amazing watching these classical master classes i've been watching like maxim vengerov and benjamin zander and all these people like they take an amazing musician playing this super crazy mendelssohn or something and then they strip it down to the bare essentials and completely change this person's playing. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, get back to the basics. Like whenever you're in doubt about your practice, room, get right back to the basics, get back to the 251 chord tone stuff. I don't know. You find that when you're practicing? When? <laughs> when I'm doing what? <laughs> yes, yeah. of course. It's actually one of my favorite things to practice because I'm not a very complicated player. So it makes me feel a lot better about myself when I go back to just doing what I know I can do simple stuff and as I said the other day when you're practicing you realize even if you've only been playing for two months I think at some point you realize how much time you have put in oh. when I go back to playing those very basic things I remember that I've been doing this since I was what four or five years old Oh, like the overall time in life you yeah mean? yeah not just the short term thing right and it just makes me feel a little more confident like when I'm trying something that's a little harder and then I force myself go to go back to the basics and I feel kind of down about that like I didn't accomplish the difficult thing and so I right. try to go back to square one and I'm like wait but I've square one is is solid square yeah. one feels good for a reason you've put in a lot of time so don't feel like crap about that right. and then I find that I get back to the difficult thing a lot quicker right. than I thought I would and kind of understanding what your worst day is mm -hmm. and that it's still okay yeah you know yeah, don't underestimate your fundamental ability or your basic ability. Because at the end of the day, it's the basic ability that gets us through pretty much every gig, right? Yep. It's the simple instinct that we've, you know, mm -hmm. kind of developed over all these years. Yeah, I'm always pretty amazed about that. And today I, I, I did a live stream practicing the Paganini for like an hour and 20 minutes. Wow. And I started at 160. And it wasn't long before I was like, oh, okay, let's dial this way. <laughs> and when I say way back, I only went down to 120. Wow. And I made it up to 220 at the end of the session. Oh, my gosh. But it was that going back. Yeah. Like stepping it down, 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 down. I'm really huge. spending the time. And how much when I look at it, if you, you looked at it like a pie chart, mm -hmm. you know, the amount of practice you do at 120 versus 220. And it'd be like 80% at 120 and 20% at 220, kind of like really lopsided in the slower you know getting the fingering in and and also ch classical music like specific fingering 
It's mm. something we don't oh, think about so, so much, right? Uh, I guess also we don't get, at least I don't, I don't think you do either, the, the opportunity to learn or have to play like long runs mm -hmm. and long lines. That we, exactly the same way every time. Right. Where it's not jazz if you mess up, it's wrong. Yeah. And and the more I, I even if it's like one of these like comedy things, these two set violin videos I've been watching or, uh, you know, a, a Hilary Hahn practice video on Instagram or something, they're really specific. And when you see two musicians, one's playing and the other's watching and, and, the, and the one who's watching says, whoa, 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 what fingering did you do there? Mm -hmm. That's not the right fingering. And I'm thinking, fingering? Who cares about fingering? Oh, you know? everyone, especially on violin. And it's like some people are like, well, you have to do it this way and I do it that way. And there's all these ways to do it, but there's they, everyone agrees on what their way is. Mm -hmm. you know. And I don't think we put that under the microscope as jazz musicians quite Well, it's just like enough. the other day when I posted that video of the 251 lick and I had just learned it and just was like, hey, I'm just going to post oh, yeah. a video of this. And you watched the video and you were like, what are you doing? It was exactly <laughs> that. You were like, that is not how you finger that. And then you showed me and I was like, oh, that does make a lot more sense. Yeah. These are the benefits of having Yannick Wisdall in your house with you. Um, <laughs> I think yeah. you would have figured it out. And, and, and like today, I finally figured out that once I got to a certain tempo, I just couldn't play these uh, triads across three strings. Mm. The string skipping with the right hand, I don't have the luxury of a bow like a violin player does. And we, right. as bass players, we're skipping with our right hand, with our fingers. And I was like, I have to find out, find a fingering, a much far bigger stretch with the left hand, but to play these over two strings and not three. Wow. You know, and then it was like, oh, I had this at 200. Yeah. But couldn't make the jump to 220. Now I've got to go back to 80. And relearn the Relearn the fingering. Oh, the worst. And not let my muscle memory take me back to that right. original safe yeah. place. And I got it. You guys go watch it on YouTube. You know, you can see the process in real time. You know, it's uh, it's not pretty. It's not, well, I was going to say it's not a lot of fun. It's, I guess it's not a lot of fun for you when you got to listen to it. No, it's not. Um. It Especially is fun. when I'm trying to con Mari my dresser at 11 p.m. at the same time. Marie Kondo. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> is it we got, uh, did you see that today? We got uh, an at Chelsea on bass and at Yannick Wisdala all about Marie Kondo. Oh, yeah. From someone getting rid of a keyboard or something. Yes, they, they tagged did. us in something. So the word is out. If you don't know who this woman is, she's a Japanese lady who wrote a book. What's the name of the book? The Life Changing Some. I'm, I don't know. Her name yeah. is Marie Kondo and she has a new special on netflix it's all about tidying up. tidying up like getting rid of your shit it is sweeping the nation well it's sweeping our house right now it's sweeping everyone's houses though because <laughs> the best part is i put a story up about it on instagram and like every single dude i'm friends with is like my wife is doing this to my dresser <laughs> right now and i'm like add a girl yeah i haven't taken the plunge yet but jimmy v is way into it like he he was trying to convince me to watch the rest of the show today at the club. Hey, man, changes lives. Apparently so. Well, there are a lot of things leaving our house tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All the stuff you threw out yesterday. Oh, all the, yeah. Yeah. A lot of Con things. Con the crap out of that closet, man. Marie Kondo. No, babe. The what? Her process uh -huh. is, she calls it Con That's like, it's hashtag oh, Con Mari. Sorry. That's, yeah get out you don't know wow i just don't know um, i couldn't stand you're not hip it. yet you gotta i couldn't stand a tv show personally right <laughs> I, I almost threw my ipad at the you screen. have to glean the lessons and ignore the lovely people that they chose to be on the show that's all lovely lovely yeah 
Um, anyway, we were talking about practicing, and I had something interesting to <laughs> tell say. Tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. Uh, so I don't know how <laughs> widespread of knowledge this is, but one of my favorite Chick Korea master classes that's online. What is that face? Yeah, go on. Do you know what I'm going to say? Yeah, I hope so. I think I think so, maybe. Okay, so Chick Korea's whole you... thing is that he doesn't m- allow himself to make a mistake because then it burns the mistake into your brain even one time. And the more times that you keep making the same mistake... Just like you were saying with the fingering, your brain knows these now wrong fingerings and it's going to take a long time to fix them. But that really applies to doing things too quickly. If you have the metronome too fast and you keep fudging something that you're not exactly getting, then slow it way down. And even that's why people say if you can play it slow, you can play it fast. I know Tucson Island hate that, but it's a real thing. If you can play this correctly slow, then your brain will know how to play it correctly more quickly. Yeah. So when you watch, unfortunately, the person saying that couldn't play the violin. Right. Well, you know. Uh, anyway, so yeah, Chick Corea says, "Don't be afraid of playing slow, and just don't make a mistake." And I love watching him stop himself right before he puts his finger on the wrong note. It's like really fascinating. And ever since I watched that, I, I really practice that way. So it's not like just screaming at yourself, "Don't make a mistake." It's actually stopping the performance before the mistake is made. Yeah. It's like bubba dubba da before you make that wrong yep. note. Okay. And Because then back your brain and... won't write in the wrong thing. It'll just say, Wait, sure. don't do that and then you have the opportunity to write in the right thing. And then so that's the interesting thing to me about going back to all this classical music and how dialed in it is and how specific it is on a certain level. Of course there's room for expression and uh, you know, being artistic with everything, but then to go back to that now to bring it back to jazz and improvising and where is the line like where's the line with chicks thing like where do you experiment and where are you always perfect right you know what i mean like i understand what he's saying but i don't agree with it a hundred percent of the time because it really like because there's no context oh but the the context is when you're trying to learn something like this that has a very specific like you can't be wrong yeah. And he's someone who's played a lot of classical music as well. Right. That's what it's about. Okay. It's about like practicing scales. Like Some, say you're okay. practicing a C major scale and you're about to play a B flat. Stop yourself before you play the right, B flat. Right, right, right. Okay. So there has to be a balance of, of both sides, I guess, right? Well, it's a specific tool for a specific means. Right. You don't. You obviously don't use the wrong tool for the wrong job. Right, right, right. Well, I'm getting a lot of new tools, i got to say. Some of them are scary. They, like you look down the path and like, oh shit, that's long. Like, that's going to take a long time to get that skill. But also, like, oh, fuck, that would be really useful to be able to do. Hmm. Like what? What a fingering thing. But the but that with the repertoire, you know, there's so much about the repertoire. Even if you take the Paganini Caprice, like the number five with all the arpeggios. And I find I'm moving around the instrument in ways I never have before. You know, and playing shapes and sounds I never have before. And when I look at it, it's all five one. It's all these like regular right. chord changes that you see in jazz all the time. You know, uh, and, and a lot with, especially with the bark stuff as well. Just so diatonic and simple, but again, moving around beautiful melodies and being very melodic with chord tones. Mm. You know, and outlining chords and big chords, and you, you you start to see patterns of like, oh, this is an effect, and it really like chromatic scales at blistering speed, or these huge three octave arpeggios or whatever on the violin, big grandiose um, 
techniques that these composers use. But some of them would be really useful. You know? Yeah, and very impressive. What you're doing yeah. kind of reminds me, I'm, don't let me butcher this. I'm <laughs> Coffee drinkers, I have to preface this by saying that I'm really bad with names. And I very often confuse people that have almost the same name. I wish I could think of a funny example right now, but okay. just forgive me when I say the wrong name right now. So Art Tatum yes. was the pianist who learned how to play. He like transcribed stuff off the radio and didn't know it was two piano players playing. Oh, that could be. I don't know that story, but that sounds, yeah, he was a monster. Okay. It's either Art Tatum or another art pianist, but. I, Art Tatum is the one. No, no, no. Art that starts with A. I'm really bad with this, but I swear it's Art Tatum. Yeah, <laughs> that, yeah, that he makes would, a lot of sense. He was a monster He would monster transcribe player. piano players by hearing two separate pianists doing like a ragtime song. Yeah. He thought it was one person. Yeah, that, that would be And Art he Tatum. would take it down by himself and he just had no idea and then he right. grew up and was like oh and that kind of reminds me of what you're like when you were talking about how you wish you played a bowed instrument right. because it'd be so much easier to do this but you're really transferring this thing that's made for something completely different like a trumpet yes. onto the bass guitar which is Absolutely. just yeah. not done triple tonguing hello yeah right you oh motherfuckers you got it so easy <laughs> Double tonguing, flatter tonguing, triple tonguing, screw you guys. Because it's really like not complicated. I used to play a little bit of trumpet, so I understand. It's difficult with the fingers. Yeah. But yeah, you're totally right. Steve Wolf, uh, my buddy in New York, great drummer. He was on the podcast. Go check out the interview I did with him from a couple of years ago. Amazing information. But one of the things he said was where he would be, I don't know if he said it on my podcast or someone else, but this is one of his things where he said, if you wanted to learn like a Billy Cobham lick, there wasn't a YouTube video. There wasn't like the slow down tool or the blo any of this shit. Like you went and got the record and you listened. Mm -hmm. And then you went to see Billy Cobham in concert and saw what he was doing. You're like, oh, fuck, I'm playing all the wrong stickings for mm. this stuff. But because you played all the wrong stickings or because Wolf played all the wrong stickings, he developed his way. Right. You know? Yeah. It's, it, I'm, I am watching some what well, yeah i'm watching violin players i'm watching hillary hahn i'm watching maxim vengerov itzhak palman all of these people i i can't rip off their technique thankfully right. yeah. it's it, it, if i was trying to i think if i was trying to work on something that would already been done on the bass guitar i would really try not to watch mm. i'd make listening the the key and part you know part of my practice time has been literally sitting here on the couch with my eyes closed closed with it on loop the whole movement on loop and listening to it seven or eight nine ten times before i even touch the instrument so much of the listening component i think that gets overlooked with the way i'm saying we me and you or just jazz musicians commercial musicians in general practice i don't think we pay too much attention to the listening um you're great with that though because you listen in the car a lot i see your spotify going and you listen to music in the car yeah um and I try, you know, I try and make, I think playlists are our friend in a big way. Oh, yeah. You I know? exhaust playlists like people used to exhaust records back in the day. Yeah. I listen to them until I can sing every note from every instrument and I never want to hear it again. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. This is it. This is what I'm talking about. This is how you have to just like squeezing all of the juice out of the lemon, like until it's dry and puckered and four weeks old and there's not, it's bone dry. Like that's how we should be listening to music. And preferably music, not that I or Chelsea or anyone or your teacher says you've got to listen to, but music that you really want to listen to. Yeah. And then you're really going to retain some of that information. Um, should we take should a couple of questions? Pepper? 
<laughs> Speaky Piper. <laughs> Speaky Piper, pick a pick, pick a pick a. Oh, no, okay. We are going to hear from, I do believe, uh, Forrest. Did I, Forrest Gentry? Is that who's coming up Forrest right now? Forrest Gump. No, no. Gentry. Sorry, Forrest. I know you get that all the time. I'm Come sorry. on. Sorry. Here we go. Hi, Yannick and Chelsea. This is Forrest from Arlington, Virginia. All right. I uh, love the podcast. I've been listening to it every morning, uh, first thing on my way to work. It's a great way to start my day. But I am in the process right now of buying a new amp. Uh, my Ampeg Portaflex is dying, and it is about a million pounds. So I'm definitely looking at getting the Aguilar SL line. So I was wondering if you think I should get two 112 cabs or if I should get just one 212. I'm also wondering if I should get the Tone Hammer 300 or 500. I'm assuming the 700 will be too much for the, the cabs I'm looking at, but would just love your opinion. I know both of you use those type of amps, so I'm sure you would know. Thank you. Mr. Gentry, thank you for your question. Mm-hmm. Gear-related question. We haven't had too many of those. Um, yeah, I have a related one to add after we're finished with this one, too. Great. A but related gear question? Yeah. To me? Well, I got it on my Instagram. Oh, you got one on your oh, And great. I'm curious to see what you have to say about it. Perfect. But anyway. So, amps. Well, I, it's all, it all really depends, I think, um, between the 212s and the, and, the, and the 112s, right? I love having a 112 because most of the time I only take one. Yeah. And it really gives you the option to not have to carry that around and to have the space when you need it just to throw one in the car and you don't need both all the time. Plus, really important distinction between two things as well, electric and upright. I know... Yeah. You're doing a lot of upright gigs and, and one is good for you, right? Yep. And you, we both use the 500. Neither of us, neither of us have a um, Tone Hammer 350 or 700 Mm-mm. yet. I wouldn't mind one. The 350 would be nice to have at home, I think, to practice. That would be lovely. Right? A little less, a little less punchy. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> um, but it's all light. You know, I have played the 212 that has showed up on gigs uh, on the road, but then it's been there for me and it sounds great. It gives you the, the push of, of two 12-inch speakers. Um, what you, oh, excuse me, what you can't do and what I love to do, I'm going to get your opinion on this as well, is with the 212s, I like to be able to split them up mm-hmm. and put them um, slightly angled inwards and behind me by about six foot, it really helps my monitoring monitoring situation. Um, I, could, I, get, I, I find I have way more control with the two cabinets if I'm using that much. How, how do you find that? Do you always stack them or you have them on the floor? What yeah, do do? I don't usually have the room that you do to kind of spread out. Okay. I've kind of got like one spot where my, my amp needs to go. So in. you stack them if you're using I two. I do stack them, yes. Okay. Then in that case, they make a great seat. They really do. It's the perfect <laughs> it's height. It's badass. I sit down all the time. Yeah. So I hope that helps. They are light. They sound beautiful and warm. And, you know, if you want two 12s, I would definitely, I mean, we both use two single 12s. And the versatility is like, you know, massive thumbs up with that setup. What was your other question that you got on Instagram? Someone asked if I prefer the Tone Hammer or the AG. Oh, yeah. And I have only played the AG at NAMM, which is the worst place to play anything. Um, The Aguilar guys specifically told me it was a little more geared towards upright and that kind of more hmm. versatile sound. But well, I which just, thing? Which thing was the AG? Oh, the big so, one. So yeah. Okay. Um, but there's there's an AG five and a seven, right? Just like Tony Hammer now. Right. This is like the black face. The black amp. one. It came yeah. out like last, last year. Exactly. The f- yeah. Okay. So the difference I heard in them is that the Tone Hammer is more of an instrument. 
Mm. Like it has more character to it. You can get like a little bit more crunch out of it if you set it up the same way. This is just to my ear. And I have played both of them in a studio setting where I could really listen to it. Mm -hmm. I did initially, there's a video of me playing it at NAMM for the first time, the AG, and it's just, you can't tell. Yeah. It's just a... You never can. Just this low rumble. So I would say that the tone hammer is more of an instrument where the AG is way more clean. Yeah, Um, sure. I, I think that's that's the only real big difference for me yeah um, but the tone hammer is a lot more versatile in the color in that it doesn't just give your instrument one sound right you can really manipulate your sound i feel sure as opposed to something like a mark bass which is why i don't like mark bass because right. it doesn't matter what bass you plug into that it's going to sound like you're playing it through a mark bass. Kind of the same. Like, yeah, it colors the sound a little right. too much. Yeah, there are a lot of amp companies that are like that, mm-hmm. where it's a definite sound. And some of those, like the Ampeg B15, for instance, like a vintage right. one, it's a that's what thing. you're looking for. Exactly. You know, put that with a 58P bass and totally. you've got you've got a classic sound. You that know? you're looking for. Yeah. yeah, and the big Ampegs, like, you know, the on the rock gigs, like the refrigerator and the SVTs and that kind of stuff. Yeah, sure, it's a very specific thing that sometimes is applicable. Um, Played one of those on New Year's. Oh yeah, big one, huh? Yeah, big venue. <laughs> um, uh, what I was gonna say something specifically about the tone hammer. Oh yes, about any of the amps actually. Um, I really like to play them flat. Mm-hmm. Everything like, yeah. but then again, I have the luxury of mainly playing my own music. I know you do a lot of gigs. Sometimes you got to be like miss cuba and play a salsa gig and the next thing it's dust bowl and then it's more it's like so diverse so you i'm imagining you dial your amp a lot i do and you play a ton of different rooms mm-hmm. right yeah so Chelsea, i'm also playing a lot of different bases that don't sound as good as yours do just flat okay i think they need a little help depending on the room that i'm in okay for sure so yeah it again it really really depends on your situation and what your goals are um yeah, given given some basic, given a basic set of parameters, I would say the five hundred with the two SL one twelves, which is what we both use. Um, yeah, long story long. Yeah, long story long. Uh, we're gonna go to Tommy, who I believe is out in the Netherlands. Hey, Yannick and Chelsea. Uh, I'm Tommy from the Netherlands. Hey. Hope you guys are well, and as are Charlotte and Cole. Um, my question is kind of twofold Um, being Dutch I'm really proud of the Metropole Orchestra and you guys probably heard or seen them and I was wondering how you'd view them and uh, as they are also a you know government subsidized orchestra and how you would see that you know I don't know if that things like that exist in America or you've known of that in the UK and also they an artist they frequently um, work with are Snarky Puppy uh, who you probably know but I can't recall you ever been talking about Michael League uh, of course as a bass player but also as a composer uh, so I wonder as he's you know kind of now the hip guy on the block how you view him uh, I was lucky to see you, Yannick, with Bob uh, in Amsterdam this year and looking forward to see you guys playing again next year. Uh, all the best. Bye. Well, that's a lot of that's a lot of question. Yep. Tommy packed a lot into 54 seconds there. <laughs> um, 
Well, yeah, cool. Thank you for coming Cole out. Cole and Charlotte, say hi. Yeah, Cole and Charlotte are here on the double wide creature bed, relaxing. Um, <laughs> Passed the F out. They are. They're, they do. They're done this time of night. Um, thanks for coming out to the gig in Holland. That's huge. Appreciate that. We had massive fun. If you were, came to the Amsterdam gig at the BIM house, that was probably our best show of the tour. Wow. Um, really was. Just an unbelievable audience. Um, first question, Metropole Orchestra. Mm-hmm. Okay. You, you, you're hip to them, right? I am a huge fan Boom, of Metropole. Boom, there we go. Huge fan. If there was something like them in the U.S., the U.S. would not be where it is right now. Right, right. Um, Vince Mendoza, who's the orchestrator and arranger for that group is maybe my favorite orchestrator right but he's not the orchestrator exclusively for this group in most cases he well that's why i was looking up looking him up right now to see who had done like their last it's definitely not him on all of them because that was was gonna be but i'm just being the the albums that i love the most are with vince are with vince and vince happens to externally also be one of my favorite orchestrators so the fact that he works with them all the time is is huge for me yeah um i love their album with laura umvula oh yeah okay um just so many things that there's just nothing like that here like government funding for oh my god there's uh, nothing like that regardless of the government funding but including the government funding is just next level insane we would never have something like that they have that in the classical world although they're privately funded right they have what in the classical world? Well, they have orchestras, first of all. Sure. Like, in cities, like the Cleveland and the LA and yeah, the New York and, like and everything. Yeah, pops orchestras that don't right. get to play hit music with actually popular artists. Sure. They're still playing like the 1812 Overture. Right. Calling it pops music. Right, 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 right. Um, and then I, I would say the closest thing to that, although it's definitely not government funded, is the Lincoln Center mm-hmm. Jazz Orchestra. But that is, as, as far as I'm aware, that is Winton doing an unbelievably good job of fundraising, which right. is basically talking to a lot of rich people who are patrons of the arts. Kind of how it worked in like Haydn's time, mm-hmm. where he would be employed by a family and to write music or by royals or whatever it was and that was how the music was was kind of kept alive but you know nothing like that here at all and nothing yeah nothing on that that scale like mm-hmm. that enormity or that regularity i believe right. that orchestra works like a, that's and, what and, always shocks me right and then it's not exclusive to to holland of course there's the wdr and the mm-hmm. ndr in germany there's the danish radio orchestra there used to be the bbc big band which was the english equivalent I, you did ask about the uk there that's the only thing i know um other than niger which is the national youth jazz orchestra which is not a pro band but again um, all of these are jazz bands and not full orchestras yes like multiple is yeah and yeah so metropole has strings and everything right it's the full-on rhythm section horn sax section, like big band and, and orchestra it's mainly an orchestra, like French horns. Oh, okay. It's really... Because every time I see something by them, there's like, like I'm looking at it right now. Vince Mendoza, Duke Ellington, Metropole Orchestra, I see a sax section as the thumbnail. Like every popular artist, like the Jacob Collier thing, Todd Rundgren, it's big band down the front and lots of horns and brass as well as the orchestra. Um, right. Okay, well, yeah, I'm a fan of some of it. And like like Chelsea, I'm a hundred percent with Chelsea on Vince Mendoza. He's one of my favorite arrangers and writers. And when he's working with anyone, I've got a lot of time for them. Um, there's a lot of stuff I've heard with the Metropole Orchestra that I couldn't stand, though. Hmm. I got to be honest, it' too dense. Um, 
kind of too much for the sake of it you know like it's gr i think it's great having that an orchestra of that size but you just don't have to use it all the time and i think a lot of arrangers don't understand it they see whoa we got 75 people let's use them all mm -hmm. all the time you know and this is is super 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 dense so some of the things like that i don't appreciate um but again that's not the band right the band is awesome that's, that's what i was just about to say on the arranger and, and the artist the fact that they provide a blank canvas for anyone yeah. to come in and use them as they will it's unbelievable what an opportunity yeah you know you amazing. could do anything like any artist i'm looking at the list here is like well shit there's gino vanelli <laughs> There's uh, Steve Vai, uh, Yellow Jackets, Shaka Khan. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just such a diverse range of artists. And so. every year the Metropole does uh, an opportunity where they give a few young composers the opportunity to come and arrange a piece for a live concert. Oh, nice. One of my friends actually got to do that for Richard Bona. Oh, cool. And he's now the staff arranger for the all or the, um, the President's Own Marine Band. Oh, yeah. Kind of a big deal. But yeah. Oh, yeah, he writes some great arrangements. You've played me some of that yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's, it's pretty nuts. Super bad. But, yeah, I mean, that's where he got, that was his first accolade was winning that competition and being able to right. write for Metropole. Right. So. And they go and do gigs other places, right? Metropole? Or is it, yeah. Do they as travel? As far as I know, yeah. Like jazz festivals. I know stuff, I missed yeah. them on my tour in, in Europe, which was a little oh, man. disappointing. They were playing? Yeah. Oh, man, it's too bad. So, yeah, so Metropole Orchestra, um, good things. And Very good things. Oh yeah, and then uh, Snarky and Mike. I mean, I know Mike since quite a long time. I think he's a great bass player. I really like him as a person. I'm not a fan of Snarky Puppy. I never have been. So wow, I'm, <sighs> wow, whatever. I, who, who? At the end of the day, who gives a fuck what I think <laughs> about? Like, what is my opinion worth? Mm. At the end of the day, it's my opinion. You know, like I, I looked that up the, the, uh, a few weeks ago because somebody asked me my opinion about about something. And I was like, why? Hmm. Why do you want to know? What is the value in that? And it was something about, there was, I read an article about it and they were saying, well, if the opinion is from someone that um, really has information that can be of use yeah. to the person asking and it's going to inform a decision that that person makes moving forward, then it, an opinion can be a really valuable thing. Mm -hmm. I don't have enough information on a question you're asking mm -hmm. and i certainly shouldn't inform your listening choice when it comes to your taste so whether i like snarky puppy which i don't happen to or not that that should be absolutely irrelevant i think i don't know what do you think i think it's nice to know who the people that you respect respect okay um in the sense of okay that could be a cool recommendation like if you say who are you listening to right now and i say oh i like this person then maybe that's a a good recommendation for someone to check out yeah sure or if i just don't know very much and i think that you might it's exactly what you said it's it's nice to know that your information is coming from the right place but i do happen to like some of what snarky puppy does i don't can't say i'm like their number one fan right. but i do actually they're their record with Metropole is my favorite one. Okay. Silva, I think it's called. Okay. Um, yeah, it's just fun to listen to. It's fun to like put on in a long drive. I don't think like most people think kind of like Wolfbeck, like they're kind of getting credit for breaking down new barriers in music. And that's what I have yeah. a problem with. Yeah, me too. A lot of what they're doing comes from history yeah. and it's not getting due credit. And I don't think that's Snarky Puppy's fault. I don't think they're going around and saying that. Not at all. 
they're breaking down barriers but just with the addition of youtube and the the generation that came along with that their fans are of a certain age where they don't know about the music that yeah Snarky i think Puppy the audience to. is highly uneducated in terms of the history of the music and where it's coming from right. but I think I also think that people who write for you know established publications who are opinion <laughs> who are yeah opinion makers and career makers or breakers in the industry, um, you know, they should be a little bit more informed. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I, to that, I have to say, like, what the fuck, you know? Like New York Times forgets that weather report and headhunters happened. Like, come on, give me a break. You know, what I have a lot of respect for them for is what they did and how they, 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 it's not like they pioneered much music, but they pioneered a way to communicate their music. Oh, yeah. In a way that has been copied a thousand times over pretty shittily by most people. But it's like there was kind of YouTube for musicians before Snarky Puppy and then there was YouTube for musicians after it. Yeah. And after it, it was six cameras and 50 people in the studio uh, making a record. Ironically, they don't do that anymore. Right. They've made three of their last albums, I think. I was talking to Bobby about it, that there wasn't a camera. Mm-hmm. You know, there was definitely not a studio audience but or any of that But now just in this last one, wasn't there again? Didn't they do this one I that way? I don't think so. No, because Bob was I on, the, on the session and no, I don't think they did. It's just a, a whole lot of musicians staying in a studio for a week and, and making music, which is kind of cool, like getting back to it. But they definitely were, the, they, maybe they weren't even the first, but they were definitely the ones who were consistent yeah. in that medium and for that i mean mike league is one of the hardest working people oh my in, god it's in music mind-blowing. yeah uh, so uh, you know the, i got nothing but respect for the dude and he's a super nice guy as well i love hanging out with him and uh yeah just not a huge fan of that music unfortunately it's you know just is what it is I'm yeah not a huge fan of a lot of fucking music to be honest <laughs> Yeah, Yannick Hater Gwizdala, as I like to call him. Come on, <laughs> it's not that bad. No, I just get into what I get into and go for it. You know what I mean? Like I don't have time to piss around. You're also kind of like a um, what do they call? It? You're not a fusion apologist. You're the opposite. Hmm? You're like a stalwart for the fusion religion. Hell no. Yes, you are. You're so defensive of fusion musicians. Explain that because I fucking hate most fusion musicians. Okay, I think you think fusion is called something different. No, I'm 40 years old. Right, I know but exactly fusion, what fusion is, is like Pat Metheny and Michael Brecker and the Brecker brothers and all of these things that to the rest of the jazz world who are not 40, we oh. classify that music as fusion now. Okay. So, well, good for you guys. You should go check your history books. Dreams was fusion. Yeah, Brecker Brothers was fusion, I think. Chicory Electric Band was fusion. Pat Metheny is a fusion of music, but it is 100%, you cannot use the F word with that. It is country Brazilian jazz. Just like you can't call a million, I mean, people would say you can't call Robert Glasper jazz, but that's what people are calling him. Well, they shouldn't. (laughs) Don't get us started, but yeah. I mean, they shouldn't. What is that? This is not jazz. I'm just saying the names and the lines are a little blurred. blurred. Sure. But you are a stalwart of the Listen, fusion religion. That's all I gotta Ro- say. Some people call Robin Thick jazz. But that's just people who go to spaghettinis a little too much, I think. Okay. <laughs> We've exhausted this question. Anyway. I guess so. I guess so. I guess we made our 
made our feelings known. Um, Sintra. It's huh? not Silva. Sorry, guys. Sintra well, is the name of the Snarky Puppy Metropol album. And doesn't Mike have like 27 different bands as well? Oh, my God, yeah. He Fork he starts and, them. But, and then leaves, right? Plays in them for like six <laughs> months and then gets a new bass player and does start something else. Um, it's really interesting. He was talking about Bacante. Bacante, that's it. His, he doesn't play bass in it. He plays baritone guitar. Right. right. But he was talking about how frustrated he is that he was saying that he kind of expected it to just blow up and he got really frustrated. That's what I was going to say about Snarky Puppy. Oh, yeah. That he forgot himself that Snarky Puppy had years and years of work to put in of touring before they got anywhere. I mean, those guys were playing around North Texas in bars for like eight years or something. He always tells the story before they yeah. blew up. It's a 10-year overnight success. Right. <laughs> it's the same for everyone. Exactly. So now that he has all this success and he started this new band, Bacante, that he's really passionate about and really proud of. Right. And it's not doing that well. And he was so upset because he was like, why isn't my, you know, why isn't this he working? Said that? And then he, but he realized he had to check himself and he was like, wait a minute. It took 10 years of work. It oh, right, for does not work like that anymore. Right, 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 right. And uh, yeah, it was interesting to, to hear him say that Mr. Like, you know, do a million things and succeed. Win a bunch of, of Grammys and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. Hey, it's, I, similar for Bobby as well, for Bob Reynolds. Like mm -hmm. we went and that was Bob's first headline tour, first solo tour ever last year. And then we're going again this year twice and we did really well. They were sold out. There were lines around the block and there were amazing people and audiences there and really fun and everything. So I was just like, oh, great. Well, we'll just go again and it will be sold out and bum, 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 bum. But now we're going back to all different places and we have to go right back to ground zero to yeah. like bootstrapping like we did before and reaching out to you guys, coffee drinkers, like I said earlier on in the podcast, to go blow up the good music company in the Netherlands who are the booking agents, go blow up their Facebook page and... Um, Mike Binder, Bender, Bonder, Binder, whatever his name is, the guy over there, blow his email up and tell us you want to want us to come play. And but we're back to that, you know. Mm -hmm. Even despite the little bit of success we had already, it's um, it's very humbling, I think. You know, put in all that time and still, I think, still just realize you're never quite done, or you're never there yet. Yeah, I have a friend that I was talking to today who's also a female singer-songwriter and how many freaking female singer-songwriters are there in the world yeah. and she just got married and her husband is also a touring drummer and it's just that reality of like at some point every time you have to make the choice to keep hustling right and every time you have that choice you have the choice to say not going to do this anymore <laughs> but for some reason musicians every time say you know what yep gonna go back into this yes and no the musicians that we keep in touch with and keep seeing every day right do. exactly but i you you got to take it from me like the first uh, not i'm talking to everyone you mm -hmm. coffee drinkers everyone you got to take it from me in in terms of what i saw when i first moved to new york the first six months mm. the turnover was unbelievable yeah it was just people came and people went weeks that was it weeks they came in they went to 20 jam sessions they're like fuck this i'm going back to nebraska and boom, gone. I was whoa, you, what? Oh yeah, man, screw this. This is not for me. No, I'm I'm talking about the musicians who have made it, right? Like right, Mike sure. League, who says that like eight years later they've finally got a paying gig, right? And for some reason, every day he woke up for eight years and said, "Yeah, I'm going to keep doing this, even yeah. though I just keep getting slapped in the face by no, right? 
Like, it's just amazing to look at the number of people still doing it. Yeah. Like your friend. And then the 10 times more that gave up. Yep. Like it's... Way more than that. Way, way, times and more. then the very tip of the spear of the people who are actually really doing it. Mm-hmm. And you're like, whoa, this is serious. Like yep. you have to be serious. There's no fucking around. You know, there's a reason I'm practicing six hours a day. There's a reason I'm, that we're working on books together, that you're on the road, that I'm on the road. Like we're really doing it. And we both doubt ourselves as well. Every day. All the time. And despite that, we get up and we keep doing it. Yeah. You know. Let's hear some feedback about that. Let's hear some feedback about getting up and keeping on doing it for the next podcast. We have more questions in in the list, um, but we could always do with more. We'll get to them on the next episode. Go to Yannick Wisdala forward slash podcast. Click on the appropriate button. Leave us a voice message. We'll play it on the show. We'll answer your questions. Do you have anything else, babe? Nope. All good? That's it. Happy New Year, guys. I'm really excited about this new year. Oh, my God. I'm not usually excited about, like, when the the calendar turns over. But for some reason this year, I'm like, yeah, 2019 is just going to be better. Hey, we're getting married. I know. It's crazy. It's pretty badass. There's a cat in my lap. She's really cute. Yeah. Things are good. All right. I hope things are good where you guys are. Coffee drinkers, thank you for sticking with us. We will see you on the next episode. See ya.